Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. Being pregnant during a pandemic must be very stressful. Rules are changing all the time about who can be in a labor ward with you, where you can go, and who you can see. Now, of course, we have the Delta strain of the coronavirus, which we're being told is extremely contagious. The push is on for more people to be vaccinated. But should pregnant women be getting the jab? Hannah Darlin is a professor of midwifery at the University of Western Sydney, and she's just published an article in The Conversation about this very topic. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, Look, could we start a a few steps behind this current topic and talk about vaccinations in general? How do they work with pregnant women, given they've got their babies growing inside of them? So generally, um, vaccines with pregnant women, and uh, currently women are offered uh, whooping cough and influenza anyway routinely during pregnancy, they work by stimulating an immune response so that should you end up with the virus coming into contact with that particular um, virus, then your body will mount a ardent response. So it's kind of like prom- it's primed and ready to go. So the, um, the COVID vaccines are acting very much on a similar sort of methodology. So with the whooping cough and the flu vaccination, um, how do we know that they're safe for pregnant women? Because we don't like doing trials with pregnant women, do we? And this is one of the big problems we've got. It, it, it's a case with most medications, women who are pregnant are not included in all what we call the phase three trials, which are the big randomised controlled trials that tell us whether or not something is safe. So really what we end up doing is looking at women who have a have a, a vaccination or a medication and then happen to be pregnant and we, we follow them to see if there are any problems or we look at what's happening in what we call population-based studies like the way we're treating COVID. So if you think about whooping cough and flu vaccine, they've now widely been used by pregnant women and for, you know, a, a good 10 years and there have been no safety concerns raised. So really with pregnant women, we are often looking at outcomes afterwards to see if there are any issues rather than including them in the first line trials. And a lot of debate is going on about that now saying we should be including pregnant women who are willing to be involved in trials. So the vaccines themselves, when we want, if we want pregnant women to get them, are we thinking that we want them to have them so that they themselves are protected so that they're healthy enough to carry the pregnancy to term? Or are we thinking about protecting the baby as well? Because I understood that's what whooping cough was about, is that if you get vaccinated for whooping cough while you're pregnant, then some of that um, resistance is going to transfer through to your baby. Exactly. And that's exactly the way that the um, Pfizer is is working. And from the data we've now got looking at baby's cord blood, looking at breast milk, we're now seeing that the antibodies that the mother generates in response to the Pfizer are being passed through the cord to the baby, therefore giving the baby some form of immunity, and also through breast milk. What we don't know is how long that protection lasts, but it would probably last for a few months after the baby is born. So when vaccines first came out for COVID-19, we were very unsure about whether they'd be safe for pregnant women. 
what has changed now? Because we haven't had that 10-year period, I guess, of whooping cough and flu vaccinations to know they're safe. How do we know that it's a good option for women who are pregnant now? And that's a really, really good question. Um, you know, even as my, as recently as about three to four weeks ago, I was saying, wait, we don't have enough evidence. The reason that we're, we're now becoming uh, a little bit more confident is that there is been a couple of big studies released and then we have real life data. So there's a study from the United States. They're following um, thousands of women who've had the vaccination on a registry and then they're looking at what happened after they've had the baby and they're looking at the, the, the ad- events that happened with them compared to a population that's unvaccinated. So there's one that was published uh, not long ago from the US showing that there were similar rates of miscarriage, stillbirth, preterm birth, small babies and abnormalities in the babies in women vaccinated, unvaccinated. Still, It's still small samples and they are constantly reanalyzing this data as more women have babies. We also had another publish, another um, article published in JAMA, which is a very prestigious medical journal, looking at 7,500 pregnant women vaccinated compared to 7,500 unvaccinated women. This was done in Israel where they have high rates and they found that less women got COVID and there were no other differences in any of the other outcomes like miscarriage, small babies, high blood pressure, preterm birth, etc. And then we've got what's happening in the US K at the moment. And that's probably what I'd call kind of on the ground real data that we're looking at. And just released on Friday, in fact, was um, some data around 742 COVID positive pregnant women who have been admitted to hospital over there. And of the women admitted to hospital, one in 10 of them are now going to intensive care. So that's telling us that the Delta variant is very different to the earlier variant where we didn't see a lot of difference in severity for pregnant and non-pregnant women. But out of that 742 women, only one, only four had received one dose of the vaccine and only one had received two doses. So we're starting to see the vaccinated women are being protected from COVID and also from more severe COVID. So this is kind of the on-the-ground data. The difficult decision that women have to make so, for example, if I lived in Western Australia where there is, you know, virtually no events, I might make a very different decision to a woman who lives in southwest Sydney right now. But I can't guarantee to you that there isn't going to be a, a wave that will hit Western Australia. And so we're we're dealing with a lot of unknowns and we're dealing with a lot of juggling risk and benefit. And I really do believe it's only the woman who can make that decision and she needs to do that with information and without pressure. And I know you've just touched on this, but I guess one of the reasons people argue to have the vaccination is that when you're weighing up the benefits and risks, that there is a greater risk for pregnant women to be unwell, seriously unwell with this current strain of um, coronavirus than the evidence is that there'll be any dangerous side effects to them. Would you say that's one of the things, one of the ways of looking at it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we know that particularly women after 28 weeks of pregnancy, so when they're in that last third of pregnancy, that they're at much higher risk of getting severe COVID um, as the pregnancy advances. We also know that the babies are more likely, therefore, to be born preterm, usually because the mum's really unwell and we have to get the baby out. 
Um, and we know that that adds more morbidity and risk to the mum and the baby. So the advice is to try and get vaccinated before you get into that last trimester. If you've got underlying medical issues like high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, heart disease, or immunity problems, or are very overweight as well, and if you're over 35 years of age, and hey, let's let's face it, they put 35 years of age into everything, don't they? When it comes to it? <laughs> yes, um, we know those women are more at risk. So we also know that women um, from minority ethnic backgrounds, particularly Black women and women from Asian backgrounds are at higher risk. And if you're in a in a household where you have got lots of people living there, coming and going, or you work in a household where, you know, one member is a health worker or works in the community um, and you can't isolate and socially distance um, in that last period of pregnancy, these are the women that I think really do need to consider vaccination. Um, look, we've been talking about Pfizer as well, Hannah. Is there a reason why we don't talk about AstraZeneca in this uh, for pregnant women? I guess the primary reason is that we are a little bit nervous about AstraZeneca in younger people, um, even though that risk is very small, I need to <laughs> emphasize. And also the data we've got have all, have all been about the uh, mRNA uh, vaccinations like um, Pfizer and Moderna. So it's far better that we stick to what we know is telling us is okay than to start um, using a, a vaccine that perhaps we have a lot less data, data about. Also, when we talk about side effects from the vaccinations, these can uh, vary wildly amongst most people. For example, I just got a sore arm and I was fine and other people have been knocked out for two or three days even, um, just feeling unwell. Do we know how the side effects might impact a baby in utero? Yeah, and then that's one of the reasons we're looking, I mean, you know, researchers are looking very carefully at miscarriage and abnormalities in the baby um, and things like preterm birth, etc., because we want to make sure we're not causing any harm. The evidence of side effects for pregnant women seem to be no different to non-pregnant people. Um, sore arms, tired, headache, muscle pain, you know, fevers, chills, sore joints. That's very, very common. Having said that, for me, if I was looking at this pragmatically as to when I would do it or when I'd advise my, my daughter to do it, I would probably leave the first trimester more alone because we know a lot of di- a lot of development occurs in those first, you know, 12 to 13 weeks and be really thinking about, you know, getting it more in the mid trimester, but being fully vaccinated before 28 weeks. So, you know, the data we've got about having it early in pregnancy comes simply from people who didn't know they were pregnant and had a vaccination. Now, we've got no evidence of a problem. The majority of vaccinations, though, are being given um, more in the second um, trimester. So I would say where we have the data that things are are okay, then we should be focusing that until we have more long-term data and more large samples to look at. So... In summary, it is looking positive for the Pfizer vaccine for pregnant women uh, in that second trimester. But as you say, if it's your choice, if you're trying to weigh it up, do as much research as you can and then make the choice that's right for you. Yes. And we've got, you know, over 130,000 pregnant women who've now had Pfizer or Moderna. And the real life data is backing us up to say that uh, women who are vaccinated are getting sick less and getting um, less severely sick if they do get sick. So from that point of view, 
I think we have evidence of benefit. Again, it has to be the woman's decision. She has to make that unpressured. And really, she's the one who will live with her decision either way, uh, whether she gets COVID or whether she feels that she had an adverse event as a result of a vaccine. What we do know is having COVID is not just about getting sick with it. We know long COVID is a reality. We know that it is having huge impact on people's health long term. So it's not just about not getting the disease. It's about all of the sequel, the sequelae that comes from getting that disease that needs to be remembered. Hannah, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. That's Hannah Darlin. She's a professor of midwifery at the University of Western Sydney, and we'll put links to her article in the conversation in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.